Hello and welcome. The Setting Apart podcast is a pit stop where you can get nourished, encouraged, and refreshed whenever you need a break. I am your host, IP, and every episode I get to share my stories, my outlook, my reflections on all things inspired through the lens of faith. So grab yourself a coffee, sit back, relax, and chill. Last episode, we unpacked、um, biblical themes of predestination, soulmate, marriage, and spirituality from Tobit chapter six. It was quite the mental gymnastics, since each theme is quite the big topic in its own right, and it kind of also gives you a glimpse of what goes into every reflection in this podcast. Reasonable care is given to unbreaking the word. In examining both the literal and spiritual senses, in order to gain a better understanding of sacred scripture before any reflection is done. Now, to do justice to all the unpacking done so far, I would like to dedicate this episode to reflecting on the key themes of Tobit from chapter one to six, and connecting the dots at this juncture before starting the second half of Tobit. With my reflection, but first, an announcement: I will take a short break after this episode. Our regular podcasting will resume on June the second, twenty twenty-two, which is a Thursday. So please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and your notification is turned on, so you won't miss any new episodes when they drop. The show note can be found on the website, and the URL is. www.settingapart.com and setting apart is one word. All resources used or scripture verses quoted,、um, reflection questions, YouTube links where subtitles of every episode in this season is uploaded, all these for the podcast and more can be found in the show notes. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear Father, blessed are you forever. Thank you for allowing us to gather here in your name to reflect on the wonderful message you have revealed to us through the Book of Tobit, chapter one to six. Please guide us with the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our heart, so that. Ultimately, we may get to see your face in your glory through your Son Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Some of the ideas or lessons from Scripture can be abstract and difficult to understand if we have not experienced them, like heat and cold. While we cannot see them. We can definitely feel them. If you have never felt them before, and if I were to tell you that heat will make you feel uncomfortable to the point of sweating, you probably cannot imagine what I just said. Take predestination for example. Sure, I've given you the Bible verses to support the proposition, but unless you have experienced it, it might be difficult to get it. For me, it is a mystery. I don't know how it works, but I have no doubt it exists. If you were to tell me that 
I will be a baptized Christian 10, 20, 30, or even 40 years ago, I would tell you that it is absolutely absurd since there is no reason for me to be. There has never been any inclination whatsoever. Why should I be? You see, I was spiritually blind. It's only when my blindness was lifted that I could start seeing more clearly. Now, I shared the divine intervention or grace that I experienced in my near-death experiences and my conversion story in Season 1 from Episodes 4 to 6. Please check them out if you haven't already. Now, why did I attribute that to divine intervention? Remember I said that if divine intervention occurred only once, it could be merely a coincidence. What do I mean by that? Well, let's assume the odds of me surviving in each and every one of the three near-death experiences is one in a thousand or 0.001. Of course, these odds are arbitrary for illustrative purposes only. My guess is that the actual odds could be a lot lower than one in 1,000. In any case, since these are independent events, the odds of all three events occurring is 0.001 to the power of 3. That gives us 0.0080. <laughs> that gives us a lot of zeros. 0 0.80 followed by 1. And that's 9 decimals. Or, in other words, 1 in a billion. That's a lot of zeros. As you can see, the odds that these interventions occurred randomly is zero. I mean, that is true up to eight decimal points. So in practical terms, the odds are zero for that three events to happen uh, altogether. To my point, these odds are for the near-death events. So I share three of them. What about when my beat-up car, you know, the courtesy car, died on the highway uh, when I was stranded there and a good Samaritan who randomly came to my help? And what about the odds of me randomly coming across the exhibit of the former president of South Korea at a Nobel Prize exhibition? where the exhibition was actually closed on the weekend, where I had no plan on visiting in the first place. And when you stack up these odds, and the ones I've not shared, um, there is no way to brush them off as merely coincidental. That's just a simple mathematical way of looking at it. So, was it predestination? Well, I really cannot explain it. Since I do not know how it works, I mean, I don't know how predestination works, but it is the best explanation offered. That is, that I've been predestined and called to be a Christian, given what I've experienced collectively as the events unfolded. And here's the thing. Every one of you have been predestined and called. Just as St. Paul teaches in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and I quote, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, unquote. The lessons taught from Tobit chapter 1 to chapter 6 remind me of the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25 verses 1 to 13. 
Now, the story goes something like this. At the time of Perusia, or Christ's second coming, the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lambs and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five wise ones brought along flasks of oil with the lamb, whereas the five foolish ones brought no oil with them. Now, the twist of the parable is that the bridegroom came at a time when they all fell asleep. And when he finally showed up, the ones who were ready, that is, those with that lamb's lit, they went on to the wedding feast with him, and then the doors were locked. And when the foolish ones came to the door and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us, the bridegroom replied, Amen, amen, I say to you, I do not know you. And that's from, again, from Matthew 25. Now, allegorically, the ten virgins uh, would symbolize the church members. The oil for the lampstand would be our spiritual preparation. The bridegroom is clearly Jesus Christ, and the marriage would be his second coming, or the parousia. Now, the church community, or the ten virgins, were called to wait joyfully for the second coming of Christ, or the wedding feast. However, they do not know when Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, is coming. They tried to stay alert, but all of them became tired and fell asleep. Now, I believe we all have experienced that in life. No matter how hard we try to stay alert, you know, sometimes exhaustion kicks in and before we know it, we fell asleep. I remember during the basic military training in my national service days, after digging trenches during the day, we had to stay awake for sentry duty during the night. It was difficult to stay awake, I tell you, especially when fatigue sets in. And that's when the trainers come and catch those who fell asleep. Now, physically, of course, our bodies need sleep, right? At least um, 8 to 10 hours a day uh, to reboot. Now, allegorically, we fall asleep um, perhaps out of tiredness or disappointment, or perhaps we don't want to see the truth around us, or we just lost the courage or perseverance to hold out a little longer. And this is where the account of Tobit shines. You see, Tobit, who against the backdrop of living in exile, despite staying true to and keeping the law and tradition passed down to him to lead a godly life, for example, going out of his way to the temple in Jerusalem to worship the Lord, um, giving alms to the temple and fellow Jews who are in need, and even burying the dead, going against the decree of the king. And despite living his life righteously, he had his wealth taken away from him, was mocked by his neighbors, and in the end, lost his sight completely. Then, on the other end, we have Sarah, who, through no fault of hers, was arranged to marry her kinsman seven times. Because all of them were rascals, they were killed by an evil demon. There were no more eligible bachelors available. Can you imagine the insult, the stress, and the burden these incidents may have brought about to their family? Sarah is a virgin, yet widowed seven times. So both Tobit and Sarah experienced despair in the depths of their sorrows and misery, and they prayed to God to let him die. 
because they could take it no more. Now, what strikes me is the way both of them prayed. While they may have given up their will to live as a result of the misery they were experiencing, they remained faithful in the Lord. I mean, you can see that in their prayers. They praised God and blessed God, never once wavered in their faith in the Lord. This is truly remarkable. Such faith and reverence demonstrated by Tobit and Sarah separately. Now, their prayers were heard, but not granted. See, God had other plans for them. He sent Raphael, the archangel, to heal them from their misery instead. So that's a pretty interesting twist, right? Instead of granting them their wish to die, he sends his angel to help them and heal them. And so the first takeaway from Tobit midway through our reading is that while we may be exhausted by our daily struggles and sufferings to stay alert, and we may fall asleep from time to time, but do not lose faith because God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he will always look out for us and watch our backs. If not in this temporal world, which is transitory, we are just going to be here for an extremely short period of time compared to eternity, but certainly in his everlasting kingdom. So this is a good reminder to all of us who may be going through some really, really tough patch or really, really difficult time right now. Now, you may be suffering physically, emotionally, spiritually, or all of the above. My message to you, or the message from Tobit to me is, keep the faith and keep praying. For it is written in Romans chapter 8, no hardships or distress or persecution or lack of food and clothing or threats or violence will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Note that in Romans chapter 8 verse 35, what St. Paul is referring to is our sufferings, not sins. Let me read that out for you again, and I quote, hardships or distress or persecution or lack of food and clothing, or threats, or violence. You see, these are our trials and tribulations, not sins. Don't believe me? St. Paul clearly stated this distinction from Romans 6 in Galatians chapter 5, from verses 19 to 21. Let me read that out for you, and I quote, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of fury, acts of selfishness, dissensions, factions, occasions of envy, drinking bouts, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God." Unquote. So this is very clear. What we just listened to from Romans 8 is referring to the sufferings, the trials and tribulations that we go through. Those will never separate us from the love of God. But sin is a different story, right? Ironically, only our sins can separate us 
from God. This is also written in Isaiah 59 verse 2, and I quote, Rather, it is your crimes that separate you from your God. It is your sins that make him hide his face so that he does not hear you, unquote. Okay, let that be very clear. All right, that brings me to my second takeaway, which is the lamb from the parable of the ten virgins reminds me of Jesus' teaching to be the light of the world, that the lamb is not meant to be hidden under a bushel. Right? We saw that in Matthew chapter 5. Now, in order to produce light in the lampstand, we must provide oil, which we noted is the spiritual preparation on the part of the virgins who signify the church community. Now, the wise ones who brought oil for the lamp were obviously well prepared to continue lighting the lamp, while the foolish ones were ill-prepared and ran out of oil when a bridegroom of Jesus Christ finally showed up at an hour we do not know. There are two things I will say about this. One, we are called to be the light of the world. And two, but before we can answer our call, we must also top up the oil to fuel the lampstand. And no one else can prepare it for us but ourselves. Connecting the dots to Tobit, Tobit is passing down the recipe to prepare the oil so that Tobiah can also answer the call to be the light of the world. Likewise, the recipe from Sarah includes humility, chastity, and filial piety. On another level, the light of the body is the eye. As it is written in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 23, let me read that out for you, and I quote, The lamb of the body is the eye. If your eye is sound, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be in darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great will the darkness be? Unquote. And this reminds me of Tobit's blindness. I mean, metaphorically, just as blindness leads to darkness, a person who turns away from God is also in darkness. So too, the eyes give light to the body, just as those who walk with God is in the light. It is a question of having the right or wrong vision, that is, whether we have our eyes on God who illuminates our lives, or we live in darkness without God and are slaves of the world. In this context, Tobit's blindness reminds me of the spiritual blindness in Scripture. It also connects to our falling asleep from time to time, in the similar way that the disciples who fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the parable of the ten virgins, both the wise and the foolish fell asleep. It seems to suggest that falling asleep might be inevitable in life. This is remarkably consistent with Tobit's spiritual blindness. Hence, the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins is not about falling asleep, since both 
fell asleep, but that the wise ones come prepared with flasks of oil. So oil here symbolizes not just knowing the will of God, but also keeping and doing the will of God. And equally important, we need to do the good works of God ourselves. No one else can do that for us. Since the parable of the ten virgins uses the wedding feast as an allegory to the kingdom of heaven, this brings me to the third takeaway from Tobit, which is marriage in God's plan. First, let me say a few words about covenant. Covenant in the biblical sense is not just a contract or agreement between two parties. Because contracts or agreements can be broken or reneged. Rather, it is a binding promise, usually sealed by some ritual like blood, that cannot be broken. This is how the Dictionary for Liturgy defines it, and I quote, The covenant is at the heart of God's loving design from all eternity. Although he has no need of human beings, he freely desires to bind himself to a people with the very intimacy of a marriage bond. The key words here are binding and bond. If we can understand it as the lasting chemical bond formed between two atoms to form a new molecule, for example, the water molecule is formed by the bonding of two hydrogen atoms to one oxygen atom, producing a H2O molecule. Now we are talking the everlasting covenant God enters with us is the unbreakable bond God desires to have with us. Marriage is an expression of God's love and commitment with us. Just as God's love and covenant for us is unconditional and everlasting respectively, so too is our marriage. It is our call to bear witness in the image and likeness of God. This is the key lesson on marriage I take away from the book of Tobit. In Tobit chapter 6, marriage is portrayed in terms of physical purity, struggling against lust, and putting prayer as an expression of trust in God as the foundation of a marriage. In particular, in Tobit chapter 6, verse 17, from the Dewey Reams Bible. This is what it says, and I quote, For they who in such manner receive matrimony as to shut out God from themselves and from their mind, and to give themselves to their lust as the horse and mule, which have not understanding, over them the devil have power. Unquote. As it is written in Romans chapter 6, and I quote, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free from righteousness. You see, we cannot serve two gods at the same time. And if we were slaves of sin, we cannot be righteous. And that's what it says in Romans 6 verse 20. And that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we see that in Romans chapter 6, verse 23.
Now, seen in this light, it is not difficult to understand that how marriage in a regime of sin can bring all kinds of threats and discord to a union between man and woman. And according to CCC paragraph 1607-1607, which we exposed in the last episode, and I quote, As a break with God, the first or original sin had for its first consequence the rupture of the original communion between man and woman. As such, we need the grace of God in His infinite mercy to help us heal the wounds brought about by sin. And since prayer is about our personal relationship with Christ, the marriage that is deeply rooted in relation with Christ will help us top up the flask of oil even when we fall asleep from time to time. The key is to follow the North Star of Christ as our guide in our walk with Christ to help us stay on course in our journey so that we too may be the light of the world. And in the parable of the light and salt in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches us that while we are called to be the light and the salt of the world, But what if the salt loses its taste? Then what good is it, right? So to help us man stay the course, God gave us a helpmate by creating woman. And when Tobiah and Sarah got up and prayed before consummating their marriage in a Dewey Reams Bible, they had to pray for three days before consummating their marriage. I realize not only how sacred our marriage is, it is an expression of God's love and commitment with us, but also the importance of marrying a mate from the same ancestral house so that we may worship the one true God together as one, as opposed to being divided against each other. We see that in Luke chapter 12, verse 51. As it is written, In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30, and I quote, Charm is deceptive and beauty fleeting. The woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, unquote. Finally, my last takeaway from Tobit chapter 1 to 6. I've learned so much from the book of Tobit so far. I hope you have as well. For example, the corporal works of mercy, the practice of good works or good deeds highlighted in the book of Tobit actually dates back to Deuteronomy. It is not a New Testament theology. As it is written in Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 11 and I quote, you shall rejoice in the presence of the Lord your God together with your son and daughter your male and female slave, and the Levite within your gates, as well as the resident alien, the orphan, and the widow among you, in the place which the Lord your God will choose as the dwelling place of his name. Unquote. Now the context here is how to celebrate the Feast of the Weeks, not just together with your family members, but with your servants, your priests, strangers, 
alien, the marginalized, the orphans, the widows among you. That's why we see Tobit asking his son to invite a poor person to join them in the feast in chapter two. Why should we bother? Because in the next verse of Deuteronomy sixteen, verse twelve, says this, and I quote: "Remember that you too were slaves in Egypt, so carry out the statutes carefully." Unquote. From my Bible sharing groups, I observe that the easy lessons in scriptures are popular, but the hard teachings are either ignored or forgotten entirely. You know, but there's a real danger to that, and the real danger is that we may fall into the shoes of the unwise virgins, where we may run out of the oil to light our lampstand to greet the bridegroom. Who is coming at an hour we do not know? The seven husbands of Sarah were killed because they cut off God from themselves and from their mind, and to give themselves to their lust, as the horse and mule, which have not understanding over them, the devil have power. I'm quoting from DRB again, right? But it will be really sad when we knock on the door and we get this response from Jesus Christ. I never knew you. Not everyone who says "Lord, Lord" will be admitted to the wedding feast of the Lamb. To get to know Christ, I invite you to pick up the Bible today and see what He's got to say. In closing, let us pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear Father. Thank you for the gift of Tobit, and in the spirit of Lent, please bless us to give alms, because it is in giving that we receive. Bless us to fast from our sins, so that we may live, and also bless us to continue praying to you, Lord, so that we may remain in you. And we like to lift up our prayers for those who ask for them, and for those especially who are going through a difficult time right now. Give them the strength to endure and remain faithful in you always, as we learn from Tobit. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name, Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Setting Apart podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and get notified so you won't miss any episode. And please feel free to give me your ratings and reviews so that others may get to listen as well. Thank you, and God bless.